2: dave can we can we please pick this up in 20 minutes i'm not i feel like we're just getting started let's pick it up in 20 minutes i'll come right back here (laughs)
1: Welcome back to That's a Gay Ass Podcast, the podcast that asks, whose fault is it that you're gay? It's me, Eric Williams, and yes, MTV legend Dave Holmes is on the podcast this week, and fook, are we lucky. As you heard in that teaser clip, Dave had a hard out at the end of the interview, but decided to come back and record with me longer after he had a work thing, and it's just a testament to this special conversation. It really is. If you follow me on Instagram, you saw that I was stuck in Portland for my day job because they got the most snow since World War II. Fun! Not only did that happen, but it was happening in real time as I was in a lift to the airport, and then we got into our car accident. Um, I'm fine. The driver was fine. The other car was fine. But my driver said, quote, No one knows how to drive in the snow here. Moments before we were (laughs) T-boned. I do think it was... Partly my driver's fault. She was really heavy on that pedal, girlies. Um, I do want to say that once I realized I was stuck in Portland, I did what any normal person would do, which is continue to do the job that they are paid to do, but also get blazed and sit in the Holiday Inn Express's hot tub in my underwear. Uh, do not have a staff infection, as one of my followers DM'd me I would get, uh, which really added to my list of intrusive thoughts but i do know they were just looking out for me and hashtag no regrets Let's get into this episode with Dave Holmes. You listen to his podcast with Matt McConkie that I got to guest on called Homophilia. He is also the editor at large of Esquire magazine and off the record, Dave told me of a delicious celebrity that he just interviewed for a cover story which I'm sure that you'll be seeing soon. So if you like this episode, follow along at Gay Ass Podcast. Of course, you have to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you choose and thank you for those great reviews. If you want to leave a five-star review don't know what to write, just write this. Slay bitch, keep it coming, C U M M I-N-G. I love you so much. Let's fucking do it. Dave Holmes is on that's a gay ass gosh darn podcast. Um, I'm not gonna minimize what today is to me. It's big. It's big, and it, I'm my dog agrees, and your dog agrees. I'm thrilled to hear Dave. Thank
2: you for coming on this podcast. It means the world. My pleasure, my pleasure. I've been so excited about this. Ah. Um, and I will, uh, I will just give you a heads up. We're we're in Los Angeles. We're in we're in weather ravaged Los Angeles. We had some tree issues. <gasps> Got a tree halfway down in our yard, no. so there are people sawing limbs off now. We could lose power and Wi-Fi. At any second, I love that we're on the edge recording this we're episode, right on the razor's edge um, of the and, LA natural disaster. And there's strangers in the yard, so you know my dog is reacting. I'm gonna close the door; it'll help. A sure, 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 sure. Oh Jesus!
1: The most important question is: Are any of the people working in your yard attractive?
2: You know, I have not
1: had a chance to get out and look and listen. It's you have a lot on your list today, and I know it's maybe towards the top, but you'll have to report back.
2: Yeah, here's the thing. Like, some people from the city came yesterday. I guess it was um, to, like, you know, because there was there was a huge branch just like sitting on a power line, so they had to come over. I was not here when it happened uh but my partner was like four city workers are here and each one is hotter than the last. Oh my and, god. And uh I was I was really bummed that I missed it. That's
1: like almost overwhelming when you think about the porn video that could emerge from that situation because Absolutely. four on one while appetizing what would there aren't enough holes.
2: No. No, but I mean, you know, so that's when you get that's when you get crafty. That's when you get creative. Crafty, it's, creative uh, and
1: bring in Rian fragments um -hmm. i do want to shout out why i'm so happy you're here not only because when i did your podcast all of it feels like a year ago i think it was just a few months ago but it was like maybe two months ago maybe two months ago a lifetime but you emailed me that we were both in New York at the same time, and you remembered from our conversation that I had met my husband, at, or sorry, I had my first kiss with my husband at Art Bar, and you walked by yeah. and thought of me? That is so... You're you're one of the greats, and I just want to well, tell you that that meant a
2: lot. It's the truth. It's the truth. That place, you know, has special significance. It now. does. How was your trip to New York? It was fantastic. It was really, really good. Um, I went... For a quick work thing that turned into a very long work thing, right. and uh, so it was—it was fun. I was a little bit stranded there for uh, for about a week. Um, what part of town was, did you stay uh, in? It was great. Well, okay, so I I did one night at a new hotel called the Aman in Midtown on Fifty mm-hmm. Seventh Street, mm-hmm. right across from Bergdorf's. It's like this insane luxury hotel. And we're, it's, we're doing a a hotel feature in Esquire. And so I wanted to stay there and, you know, see if we could include it in in the feature and stuff. And so, so I got a night there in just like outrageous luxury, such a great room. So I'm assuming you're telling me
1: this because it is on the list.
2: It's on the list for sure. Yeah, no, it'll definitely make the list. Like, it's it's a great – it was fantastic. And then the rest of the time, I was at the Arlo, which is just, you know, one of those places that's fine. <laughs> and But, like, you get into your room and you're just like, oh, god damn, this is so small. And there's, like, there's no like, – there's just no room for anything. I
1: mean, that's also, I feel like, a New York hotel through and through, which is like a devastating postage stamp. But I have to say that one of my life goals is to have the experience on the reg, like you had at your across the street from Bergdorf Mm. luxury hotel. All Mm. I want is just like a slutty
2: tub. Oh, this was the sluttiest tub ever. Mm. Bath salts all in there. Japanese toilet. Of course. With heated seat. Of course. Bidet. Like, I'm, I might be a bidet person now. You I was will, a believer Dave, at the Dave, end of that 24 Dave, hours. Listen to
1: me. You are a bidet person. You were born a bidet person. You will die bidet person. It's just you're learning it right now. I uh-huh. have seen the light as of a year ago. And I every time I travel and there's no bidet, I have to schedule oh. extra therapy sessions because it really – it drags me down.
2: Well, the thing is, the, it's uh, the warming of the water that is critical. I had tried them before, but it was, you know, your typical non heated situation. And that's alarming. I guess you would maybe get used to it. But this was, <laughs> this was like the, it, there was warm water. There was like an air drying option. It was, it was just like, oh my God. Okay. What is happening? Um, now I resent you know regular toilets but we're not here to talk about and we're not here to
1: talk about cold jets of water spewing into my open holes we are here to talk about dave holmes's brilliance dave holmes's st louis upbringing dave Mm -hmm. holmes's gayness um yes i only because it's one of the most exciting things i'm most excited to talk to you about um you famously have a career that spans Emotionally, millennia. However, one part of your career that I love to go back into was your appearance on Watch What Happens Live. Yes. Where you were forced by also gay St. Louis and Andy Cohen to Mm -hmm. uh, see where gay guys stand on all things Bravo. Mm -hmm. Now, we all should know and if we don't i'll teach the t- children now that you went eight for eight in knowing where gay guys stand and one of those mm-hmm. things that you knew was um ryan Serhant versus captain lee who was the hottest daddy and you said what
2: i think i said ryan
1: ryan sur yeah do you have any hot takes about your relationship with andy Cohen over the years both being power gays from
2: st louis missouri Oh man! Please, we're we're both gays from St. Louis, Missouri. He is he holds a great deal of power that I do not. Um, he's uh he's always been just a, a really lovely guy. You know, I mean, we do have, as you and I have, that common St. Louis suburban uh, young gay boy, uh, you know, background. Um, he's yeah. And he's, he's always been, uh, like super supportive and cool. And, um, yeah, I was on watch what happens live because I did a, like a panel show, a Bravo panel show about Bravo shows in, I guess it was 2018 or 19. And so we were promoting that. Mm. Yeah, we did. It was a three episode test run. We did not get picked up after that. And, uh, and that was that, but it was, it was a fun experience. So there was a panel show about
1: Bravo. Was it you like? Mm-hmm. With were there guests of the shows or other co-
2: pop culture commentators? Who was it? There would have been had we gone any sure, further. Sure. I think uh, Kelly Ripa was a guest once. Oh my um, God. Yeah, uh, there were there was maybe a, a housewife or two. Maybe a Kelly Dodd called in. Um, right. I mean,
1: rest in power. Jeez. Yeah.
2: So yeah, it was uh, it was me, Jerry O'Connell. Uh, a comedian named Michael Yo and Brendan Schaub, who is a an uh, who's like a UFC guy or I don't know, he's a fighter of some kind, but also kind of steeped in the Bravo world, and he's got a big podcast and whatever. So it was the four of us. It was originally it was it was supposed to be like a sports center about Bravo shows. <laughs> and uh i was the one gay person on it and also i'll just say it the one person who does not watch bravo shows um i was curious but about I, your
1: relation to watching the shows yeah
2: um I, The executive producer of it, who's also the, uh, the EP of Watch What Happens Live, is an old friend of mine from MTV. And she called me in for it. And I was like, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not like the biggest Bravo guy in the world. And she was like, it really ultimately doesn't matter. You don't need to be a big fan. You just need to be able to make jokes about it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that I can do. So I like caught up on a couple shows. And I, you know. Tried to come up with some fresh observations and whatever, and I ended up getting the show. So then, like, between getting it and filming it was this insane month of just, like, cramming as much as I possibly could. And they're still largely not for me. now. Now I've turned my back on it entirely because the show didn't get picked up, and I'm you know, I'm I'm bitter and I need, you know, I can't Stick it to them, Dave. Don't dare give them Um, any of your attention. Yeah, ultimately, it's, you know, I don't like it when people are mean to each other on television. It makes me sad.
1: Listen, there's been a lot of talk right now about the state of affairs with the Housewives because, as you might know, New York is not, we don't know what's happening with that. The Mm -hmm. There's just, I'm gonna not disagree with you, and I will say that right now there's fear in the air for us Bravo watchers, but, um, I think that the fact that you aren't a huge Bravo person and you went on Watch What Happens Live and you were able to please all the Bravo fans, that says a lot because oh, thanks. similar to Drag Race fans, there will be blood. There oh, absolutely.
2: Blood. Absolutely.
1: Andy did ask you about interviewing Britney Spears and I'm obsessed with your story that you knew that she was like on the rise and she um, mm-hmm. couldn't say anything controversial. So you said she was like she had like a shock collar on. <laughs>
2: Basically, yeah. I mean, it was – yeah, she was so heavily media coached. And like, you know, you think about the pressure that she was under and the many, many people who depended on her to like just not fuck anything up. You yeah. Know? You know, at the center of just this like hurricane of label people and PR people and – Mom and know, dad. Stylists and – yeah, and mom and dad. And uh and, and all that. And it's like and it's just it's essentially like there are a million rakes to step on, you know, there are a million banana peels to step on. She could have fucked it up in any of a number of different ways. Um it's like you know, doing that kind of thing is hard to do well, but very easy to do poorly. Oh, yeah. And she did really well.
1: And it's no, you know? I mean, it's kind of no wonder that things are where they are right now. And in fact, I don't know if this is controversial, but I think things, obviously, she's going through a lot for very valid reasons. But I'm sure it could have been a whole lot worse. Like, she, sure. the amount of pressure and money. Yeah that was on her is on her shoulders is fucked oop. I aspire to be a successful person that goes to luxury hotels. I do not aspire to have Britney Spears pressure.
2: No, I mean, it's, it is to, to be in, in the public eye at all is really disruptive and destabilizing and crazy. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, being, being at MTV, I got, I, I got like a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of like, like notoriety or mm-hmm. whatever, and like m- once or twice, I I was in. I, I myself was like not a thing in Page Six, but they mentioned me at, it, like in a story about somebody else, yeah. right? And I and like even just the thing of like I wasn't there last night, or or like you know just dumb little things. Um, And, like, and Page Six did not care about me. The readers of Page Six did not care about me. That is totally fine. And I knew that, but it was, like, just the fact of, like, oh, they can kind of just say whatever they want about you, and then it's out there in the world. That's very weird. Yeah, especially when,
1: like, you have to defend yourself. Of course, whatever was in Page Six about you, I'm sure, wasn't, like—and Dave Holmes was throwing up on Colin Farrell. But I'm sure there are people who have things that go out in the media— in whatever newspaper or whatever it is that are probably blatant lies that when you start to defend yourself, it's so hard. You know, it's the, I talked about this recently that Allison Williams, when she was on girls, uh-huh. people thought that she was Marnie in real life, that that's how she acted. And she said at first that it really annoyed her to know that people thought that way. But once she got rid of the caring that like people are going to believe what they're going to believe, she was able to, live her day-to-day life and and not in in ways that didn't have that weight but like i can imagine that if you are bringing it back to the real housewives there are so many fucking fake things that go around to drum up controversy that like i'm sure at some point it's like the boy who called wolf which is that yeah you want to defend yourself but you're worried that no one's going to believe you
2: exactly exactly and like and those people, as I was, are, are like adults, like yeah. full adults who knew what they were jumping into. And if you're if you're a kid and you're just trying to like, you just want to put on a show, or you just want to please mom and dad, yeah. or whatever. And then this whole other thing comes and then, you know, on top of it, everyone's talking about your body yeah. as it's changing. Ugh. Like that's that's uh, yeah, it, it really could and probably should have been a lot worse. Even, you know, taking into account this latest video where she's Australian.
1: Well, you know, it's um yeah. She's just showing her Don't all be of a that. roller coaster. It's a roller coaster. But I that so I have been wondering when you were doing like the competition to be like the next VJ, how old uh-huh. were you in that process?
2: 27
1: okay so young and you i mean well here actually i think 27 i was wondering it for a few reasons but one i think that it's young but it's also the good news is you're not a child that obviously you could handle the pressure because you you yes. did so well but i think that one of my favorite clips of yours that i remember watching a long time ago but also i was resurfaced recently <laughs> arnold schwarzenegger is on mtv and yeah you're asking him what he thinks about mandy moore and she's in the yeah. background She's so going i'm missing you like candy yeah. and he, he, he yeah. just keeps going sexy 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 and you keep interjecting 15 mm-hmm. 15 she's 15 yeah she's a, she's a child so do you, she's, she's I'm assuming true. you remember this moment pretty vividly?
2: Only because it was on my reel for a uh, while. <laughs> I, I, I'm i telling you, like, more and more uh, people are, like, digitizing old VHS yeah. tapes or whatever. And so, like, things will resurface on YouTube. And, and when that happens, pe- everyone, like, tags me on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I'll watch it and, like, I, ne- I never remember it is it's it's all everything happened so fast and was so utterly surreal Mm. that like i don't i was not able to form cohesive memories uh, of any of it it's crazy
1: well it's probably like it's not that you're like blacking out due to trauma it's almost that you're like no you're you're just it's probably adrenaline and yeah
2: it's not not like that you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it is, it's definitely like you're, you're in an unfamiliar space and you're, and you're like adrenaline is rushing and, and yeah, I mean, it it's, it is a little like a like a, a trauma accident. response. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a, a joyful trauma. Yeah. But it's, it's unusual. Well, it's not, part yeah, of the reason crazy. why
1: I'm curious about your age then is because it's such a heightened experience. But I feel like at 27, you bring more of a presence, like being present, mm-hmm. than. Probably any younger than that, because when I was watching and watch what happens live, Rory O'Malley is the bartender. And he, mm-hmm. of course, famously was Elder McKinley in Book of Mormon. And I, one of my biggest first experiences post-college, I got a callback to replace Rory O'Malley in Book of Mormon on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I was far too young to A, book it, B, mm-hmm. prepare in a way that was actually... I was just so... I was, I think, 21 or 22. 22 maybe and i remember i prepared you know like as much as i thought i needed to and then the the night before the callback i did not sleep a minute because i kept waking up with just like anxiety pangs and so by the time i showed up it was like also it was like a 4 p.m audition so i spent the whole day freaking out Mm -hmm. i had an ex-boyfriend at the time a boyfriend at the time who was as i remember it not helpful and then i show up to the audition i was so nervous and not able to just like do what needed to be done i botched it so bad and they mm-hmm. did not call me in ever again and i just remember thinking them like well maybe there's a chance ne- knowing in the back of my head there was no chance and now that it's been a lot of years later i'm like i just wasn't ready at all mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. when you were doing all of the vj insanity i think that you were <laughs> young enough to like have the energy to do it, but not so young that you,
2: you, you, you didn't crumble at all. Well, something took over, I think. I don't know what, um, thank you for saying that. That's very, that's very kind. I, um, I was, I definitely was old enough to have had a lot of time in the real world and Mm -hmm. like a real, you know, having a real job and all that kind of thing Uh, enough to know that like this was an opportunity I needed to take advantage of, you know, and like push as hard yeah. as I could. And so I did, but I also, I guess, yeah, was, was sort of, I don't know. Well, I mean, I wanted the job really bad, but I also kind of thought like the more important things to like make connections and mm-hmm. maybe, you know, see if I can't find a job here some way or another.
1: And spoiler um, alert. it worked.
2: Did. It worked out. It worked out
1: well. Speaking of working out, I want to work mm-hmm. out my gay ass muscle and ask you the famous gay ass podcast question: Dave Holmes, whose yes. fault is it that you're
2: gay? Who do we blame, babe? Um, wow, it's, uh, it's a, it's I think it, it's a, it's a tie, it's a photo finish between the Catholic Church and share. <laughs> I, you know, I think, I think each has their own role to play. You know, I grew up in, in the, well, I was a little kid in the seventies mm-hmm. and, you know, Cher had a, had a variety show where, you know, it was, it was comedy sketches and and medleys and, um, and costume changes and, camp, you camp, know. Camp, camp, camp. Camp, camp, camp before we even really knew, well, before I knew what, that was.
1: But you knew um, in your gay guts that it spoke to you. Yes.
2: Yes, I did. Yeah. I needed to have it on. And the, yeah, there was just something about it that was, that it, it was just everything. Like sometimes there was, you know, a tender moment, but yeah. often it was just, you know, it was just kind of like her doing big, broad sketch characters. And then, you know, a reggae medley or whatever. Right.
1: Well, is that, was that where she did the West Side Story thing when she played all the sure different was. characters? Yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I've also seen Cher in Las Vegas. Oh. At Caesars Palace. Where, yeah, she, um, it's, it was like me and, and like every 60-year-old gay man who owns a, a <laughs> salon in the state of New Mexico. <laughs> and and like and she changed her clothes eight hundred times and every single time the whole crowd lost their shit. And um and she like came in in like a elevator looking like pod thing from the back of the house. Stop uh, it. over the crowd, Stop landed on stage, it. singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Stop it. And uh, and in her little like monologue, she's like, I don't I don't use writers. I don't have writers. I just have little fun things that I say. And like sometimes when I'm hovering over the crowd in that thing, I, I dream that it's gonna like fall. And the headline will be, uh, you know, share falls, uh, six nobodies killed. Those are just my little funny things that I say. I don't have a writer. And it was like. No, we got, we got it. Oh my
1: matter, God, sure. Cher is. Um, yeah. There's a reason. There's, there's a,
2: reason. a reason. She is special, and her mother just died.
1: Which, by the way, Cher is all of how old? 112. Like how? Yeah. Old? And she looks. She, I think she will look 41 for the rest of her days. Yes. She, how old she was her and mom? Gene Hackman.
2: Um, I don't know. Her mom had to have been into her hundreds. Had to have been. I mean, unless
1: she was a teen mom which she i mean she yeah could. possible wait so then so share makes complete sense is the catholic connection that you were at uh catholic school in st louis being told you're gonna burn and that's what made you rebel no like, i happened? mean
2: no i think it's just you know if you've if you've been to the catholic mass there's a lot of there's a lot of drama mm-hmm. there's a lot of um you know, there's a lot of uh, robes and, and scents and and traditions and uh there's there's song, there's a spoken word interlude, there's you know, <laughs> there's everything. It's a show every week. Um, I became an altar boy as fast as I could. And to to quote Mark Berbiglia, uh, no. <laughs> um, did I say Mark Berbiglia? Mike Berbiglia. I think you said no, Mike. Didn't happen. Um so yeah, I mean, it was just, it was like, it felt, um, there's, um, a lot of pomp to it. There's a, a lot there's, of pomp. What, does, what, yeah. does
1: your Mike Birbiglia reference mean that, no, it wasn't the experience you wanted or no, you did not book Alter boy?
2: Oh, no, I became an altar boy and no, I did not get, uh, molested. Um, Thank you for the clarification. Did you, yeah, um, yeah. did you
1: have any consensual molestations between the other altar boys?
2: Uh, not at that time. No, no. The way you say uh, that
1: makes me think that there was.
2: No, I mean, no, no, never anything. No. Did you no, ever kiss? Not another, until.
1: When w- was your first boy, boy kiss in St. Louis or was it after you had left? It was in
2: St. Louis. It was in St. Louis. Yeah. Do you remember where geographically it was? Um. Uh, yes, I do. Um. I, well, I fooled around with a boy first, but there was no kissing. Like um, touching peonies with handsies. There was, uh, yeah, it was you know hand and mouth stuff, but no kissing. Hell yeah, you were. Okay. It was a little like prison sex, I guess. In that <laughs> Fuck regard, yeah, prison. Sex. Um, yeah, no, I was like twelve or thirteen. It was a boy down the street who was a year or two older. Ugh. Um, it's we had watched risky business. Uh, on vhs Mm. i had slept over at his house we were in the basement and and uh yeah one thing led to another not kidding you led
1: the fantasy that i thought i would have for the first 18 years of my life and i never did if i may say i don't think this person listens to this podcast he is confirmed straight however Mm. in my high school years i had uh, a friend who i would do theater with which would lead anyone to believe that at least a part of him wants to have a mouth yeah on or around his groin just for the sense memory exactly i mean he he's doing joseph and the amazing technicolor dream code he wants to um ugh, i don't know the show well enough to do a a, a blowjob mm-hmm. reference but i will say okay. that i slept over a number of times and mm-hmm. not a single time did any touchies of beanies or peenies or mm-hmm. assleenies happened and um it's devastating to me, but the fact that you had a neighborhood boy, and yeah. you had your own risky business, Mazel Tov! Sure did,
2: sure did. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty it was pretty hot. However, let me say this: after it was over, and I, I don't know if you'll if you'll vibe with this or not. Um, the The Catholic in me at that time, like a- after, like you know, after I came. I was immediately so flooded with guilt and shame. Of course. And so this was certainly no different. I um I like it was at a sleepover as I said and it was going on until the, the sun came up. And then and then and then we finished and I was like I have to go home. And uh, and so I went home and I was like my head was like pounding with shame and guilt. And uh like so much so that I was like well, I, this is AIDS. I got AIDS and I'm going to die probably later this afternoon. And that's, that's what's going to happen. And I was like, at the same time, like there was a part of me that's like, you know, this is 1984. We don't really know how AIDS works, but that's not it. You don't just like generate it from friction. And you don't get a pounding I mean? headache
1: three hours It doesn't later. give you a
2: headache. And, and you would like, it's a longer process. Sure. Right? Like I wouldn't probably die that day. And, uh. So there was like a tiny part of me that knew that sort of somewhere in my body. But the rest of me was just like uh, so overcome with guilt and I'm shame. I'm not kidding. I've had to work through that
1: panic and shame for a lot of my life. And I, yeah. a story that's so real and close to your story is that I had not had sex just like you had only done some fiddling and whittling. And I had mm. my freshman year of college given my first blowjob. I went back to St. Louis for winter break. I had a sore throat. Mm -hmm. i went to get an hiv test because i was convinced i had aids yeah they said at the clinic when's the last time you had sex i said never yeah they said yeah interesting why are you here i got the test still (laughs) um and i just yeah yeah, i just the there was so much pain i i also like had I, i i don't know if jewish and catholic guilt is like you know different sides of the same coin but i would even like masturbate in the shower and then and then feel the pain of three thousand babies going down the drain i was just like mm-hmm. i am a monster
2: yeah oh absolutely absolutely yeah no it's they they really they really do a number on you, you they know? really do did you
1: were you able to shed that um how, how long did it take you to shed that that oh. guilt and shame
2: no oh, that's the work of a lifetime yeah i think so too. i mean yeah it's you know you think you got a handle on it and then it kind of manifests in a different way you know like I'm, I'm still learning you know i'm still yeah. like finding ways to to circumvent it and whatever and, and it's you know it is the religion element obviously yeah. but it's also where we grew up you yeah know? it is uh i'm sure pockets like the pocket that we grew up in exist all over the country all over the world but where we grew up, it, it, our our specific sliver of like suburban St. Louis was so, so homogeneous and so, um, so kind of, I don't know if provincial is the word, but like, like there's one specific way to live. And if you are a tiny, tiny, tiny degree off of that, then you might as well, you know, be at Burning Man. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like it, it's it instills in you a feeling of like uh, of doubt about any choice that you might make that isn't that isn't in line with what you like grew
1: up i'm like. feeling this in the depths of my chest going into my tummy because i think Great. sometimes i wonder if i make up some of the feelings of not belonging or the feelings uh-huh. of being different and then i'll either talk to someone like you or i will visit st louis and of course you know it goes without saying that like there's a reason why I can still visit is because there are still people there that I love. And there's still things about it that are fine. But there's so much of it, too, that's like, oh, they really do not understand a person who has a very uh, – take to a tiny difference of a life, let alone mm-hmm. living somewhere else or being gay, whatever it is. I was with Matt, my, with with my – goddamn husband going to a grocery going to Schnucks of course and of course the Friendly old white man that stared at us buying our produce i was like oh my god i forgot how it feels to be stared at like that And it's one of the reasons why as much as I would love to see my family more and I'm going to, you know, the older I get, the more I really want to make sure I can visit them and see my nephews. But like, I don't think I could live anywhere close to where that sliver is. I do think there Mm -hmm. are other parts now that are much more um, progressive. And I Mm -hmm. went to a, a farmer's market a couple years ago in um tower grove park that was like mm-hmm. oh wow I like i there. saw gay people i saw yes. like and i was like okay this this exists and this is healing for me yes. but where we grow up i think it definitely what you say really rings true
2: and it has not changed yeah it has not changed um you know a, a few years ago actually probably like 10 years ago we had a surprise birthday party for my mother mm-hmm. and I came in for it. And because it was a surprise birthday party, I couldn't stay with my parents. I couldn't stay with my brothers. Mm-hmm. So I came in a couple days early and I got an Airbnb around Tower Grove Park. And, uh, and I actually like, I was like, you know, this is going to be a little adventure, and I, I, in fact, didn't even tell my brothers how early I was coming in. I was just like, I want to be in this city, but not wow. have to talk. I mean, not that it's a burden to talk to my family or friends or whatever, but I was like, I want to act like I'm a tourist. Yeah. So, um, so I did, and I, and I was in this cute little thing. It was like an old grocery store that got turned into a loft, and uh, and it was in this funky area that was like racially diverse and architecturally beautiful. And and I was like, oh, this is I like this place a lot. Like this is this is a very groovy place mm-hmm. and inexpensive and now full of great restaurants because it is so inexpensive and and like there's there it does have a lot going for it, but there is, you know, the pull of that like West County very conservative yeah. um world that is everyone I went to high school with, and everyone I'm related to. And it's hard to get away from that.
1: Well, know? listen, I was in Portland for work this past week, and I was stuck because of their biggest ice storm since World War II. And I was there mm. for a 48 hours past when I was supposed to be there. And... That's a separate insane story, but I bring it up because I saw two friends there that – one I went to high school with in St. Louis, and she ended up moving to New York for a while, then moved to L.A., and I got to see her in L.A., and then they moved to Portland. But they revealed to me that they are moving back to St. Louis, and my gut reaction was like, no. Like, I was like – I just like – especially coming from Portland, which the joke I made is that Portland is what Republican Texans think New York is. It's like Mm -hmm. so – purple hair progressive queer yeah. it's like i and of course i love that but i was like this is really what uh it's the most liberal progressive queer place i've ever been in my life yeah. however when i thought when they said they were moving to st louis i was like please be careful like as if they were going to normandy but yeah they told me that they were actually going to be doing more of that groovy lifestyle and the more i thought about it i was like you know what that fucking rules like you can build your own life and just like you went undercover in a way of going into like Mm -hmm. that air grocery store airbnb like that Mm -hmm. am i close to doing that myself no but like that i can envision being pretty fucking cool
2: it's yeah it seems pretty cool there's um i made the mistake of going on zillow and looking at like what some of the brownstones around Lafayette park are going for like, and so now I get these updates like two, three times a week about these gorgeous old brownstones that you can get for that. I like that. I could buy, you know course, what I mean? Like, like it's, home ownership it's, in Los Angeles is not in the cards for me ever. And I like, I work a lot, but it's just like, Dave, it's just out of reach for me.
1: We're looking well, at houses and it's so impossible. And I, um, just, I'm lamenting yeah. with you. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's fucked
2: it's super it's so fucked it is crazy crazy fucked um but yeah in st louis it's a little easy but there's obviously a trade-off
1: well listen i i want to make sure to ask the next podcast question because i could talk about this for literally weeks um but dave holmes if the world was ending you could only save one character actress who would you
2: save well i mean she's already gone i'm afraid it's okay you can bring her back can I bring her back yeah. and save her? Madeline Kahn.
1: Mm. Madeline Kahn. Classic. Um, I don't know if anyone has brought her
2: back yet, and I'm thrilled that you did. Okay, good. I I just love her. She's another one who I was just like, this is someone, like, she's always playing somebody who's, like, fucking weird and complicated and a little bit glamorous. Yeah. Um, and, like, just on a fucking another planet. Do you, you think know? that
1: Madeline Kahn would have been cast in White Lotus if she was alive?
2: Oh, God yes yes (laughs) yes she would um and you know as as happy as i am for the jennifer coolidge moment i'm just you know it's i i don't want us to get sick of her i don't want it to be listen listen bowl of ketchup for dinner you know what i mean
1: it's a very real fear because i have noticed um i've been doing this podcast this is probably like the like 85th episode or something and jennifer coolidge had pretty rarely or you know every now and again but all of a sudden in the past month she's come up almost every time yeah and that same fear has come up in my brain of like we i mean i can't say any better than you did the the ketchup for dinner analogy is is it's, it it's yeah it's, i i want to make sure we never take for granted what
2: we have exactly and it's you know people are talking about parker posey in this way now and i'm just like be careful careful be careful i know careful. I, i'm one we of those don't, people don't we don't so. want to get Yeah, we don't want to like get tired of Parker Posey, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's like you know, Madeline Kahn is long gone, and I can't get tired of her. Yeah, I I feel a bit the same way about Terry Gar. You know, she's around, but she doesn't really you know. Wait, do I know Terry Gar? Oh wow, you're mad. Terry Gar is like a a very close. You of course know Terry Gar.
0: Oh, I know Terry Gar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: she's in. Oh my God, she's amazing in uh, After Hours, the mm. Martin Scorsese movie. She has just some of my favorite moments on film ever are Terry Gar, and she, you know, she's she's not well now, so she doesn't she doesn't act anymore. But she too is like someone who I just adore.
1: We love, um, oh yeah, no, she her Wikipedia is stunning.
2: Oh, I bet, I bet. I bet, but yeah, no, Madeline Kahn. Um, just you know, uh, only she could give you that reading uh, of that line from Clue. Flames, you know, flames. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's great on Sesame Street. Uh, you know, great. Gr- gr- she's she could do it all. Ugh, well, I'm R. glad R. you brought her back
1: because thank you. She deserves, and we deserve. Um, so.
2: Let's get back to St. Louis.
1: I actually, I do want to ask you another St. Louis question, which is, yeah. so we had, um, we have boy, boy, sleepover kissing. What yes. was coming out to, how many brothers do you have? Two. Two older two, so, so interesting. You have two older brothers. I have uh-huh. one older, one twin, one younger brother. So we still yeah. have the brother connection. So mm-hmm. um, what was the experience like of coming out to St. Louis brothers
2: for you? Uh, it was tricky Mm -hmm. um it was tricky everything was the opposite of what i thought would happen oh everyone who i thought was going to be great was a little bit of a nightmare and Uh everyone who i thought was going to be a nightmare was great that tracks that tracks i mean i i i
1: thought my um at the time 80 something year old grandfather was going to be a nightmare and he took me to i don't know if you ever went to protzels like something like i think that's what it was yeah like a jewish deli Oh. um which like i'm asking like the priory boy if he went to a jewish deli but i will say yeah. um my grandpa said i'll repeat this story as long as i live he said i'm gl- like thank you for telling me i don't love you any less in fact i think i love you more wow and i Goddamn. have to say my 80 something year old grandfather in that sliver of saint louis missouri that was the last thing i thought he was going to say and to mm-hmm. this day he's still alive he's ninety. 90- Four now, and wow. always sends his love to Matt. And yeah, so but that's fantastic. So I I I, I identify with you with because then, then certain yeah. people, you know. Well, how old were you when you came out?
2: Yeah, I was twenty two. I guess mm-hmm. I was just about to start my senior year of college, and there was there was a bit of like a, a th- th- it was a bit of a race against the clock because I was sort of out at school. Uh Right. Which I, you know, voluntarily went to a a really homogeneous Catholic college. Where'd you go? uh, Holy Cross in Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. which is a great place in a lot of ways. But like I was the gay community there, you know. Sure. And um, I think I went there because like I took a tour of the campus and had a crush on like 11 (laughs) boys in the first half hour that I was there. And I was like, I for sure made that decision on that basis, which is not – kids don't. Um, But I, uh, you know, I was I was – out to a few people there, mm-hmm. which I think I even knew meant I was out to everyone there because it was, you know, there was a bit of a grapevine. And and you all well, I lived in fear of the the word getting back home because mm. there were a handful of people from St. Louis and people love to talk there course, and in course. St. Louis. So um so I, I kind of felt like they needed to hear it from me. And so I, as a matter of fact, he denies it, but I think my oldest brother got wind of it um, before I told anybody. No. Um, yeah. And uh, which was scary. Um, the whole thing was actually really scary. <laughs> like, it's hard. It's hard to, like, look, you know, my life being the way that it is now and your life being the way that it mm-hmm. is now. It is very difficult to look back and, and remember how fucking scary and raw all of this or, stuff yeah, was. Yeah, you know? it's really torture. Really, like, yeah, I mean, it's it's a part of your life and your story that you have a perfectly natural desire to keep control over. And and like and, and it's also like when when you do start telling people, that's it, you know, like you can't. It's not like you're trying like Buddhism out for a while or whatever. Like it is, especially for for boys and men, it is a thing that you are locked into forever. You know. Yeah, yeah. Or at least at the time, you know, it it felt that way. And so, it's it's a huge it's a huge thing, and and it's all like, which is very difficult to like negotiate and navigate within. But then it's also really scary because it's like, what if you get beat up? Or like, you know, what if your parents decide not to talk to you? Exactly.
1: There's like, there's very real fear of your own journey of like not being able to turn back of like, if I come out, then this is me getting a tattoo on my body on my forehead that says I Mm -hmm. suck dick. But then on the Mm -hmm. other side of it, too, is... Just like you said in that sliver of St. Louis and all around the country and the world, people feel this way. Where you're like, there is a very real fear of. I didn't think I was going to be kicked out of my home, but I was fearful of things being said to me that felt irreversible.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. I
1: was. I was worried about. And yes. the, here's the thing: is that at the t- I'm lucky that I came out. I was about uh, 18, I would say, and. My all three of my brothers did not beat me up. They did not say anything horrible, but they each responded in ways that showed that they didn't know a single gay person. Mm -hmm. My older older brother said to me, who had been in college in Miami, Florida, he said, wait, is it the way that you like guys the way that I like girls? And I was like, in my head, I was like, you are 20 years old, however, 21 Mm -hmm. years old, and I was angry because I, and I said to my mom, I was like, that really angers me. And she was like, well, Eric, you got to give him credit for trying. And I was like, do I? Yeah. But it's just like, there was so much, you know, a bo- bottled up emotions of like, yeah. I, I've been dealing with it for so long and you don't even know what a gay person is, let alone like how to respond yeah. to someone. So, anyways, I want to hear yeah. more about, about yours.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, my oldest brother, I think, the grapevine reached him and uh and i and i further think that he told my dad oh um, shit because i i i just got this sense that uh my father a little bit didn't force the conversation but was just like i get the feeling something's bothering you and i was like i'm way better at hiding this shit than you could ever imagine <laughs> so like you must know something she's an actress um yeah for real and so yeah so i um i guess i told my middle brother first, but even that sort of act, you know what, here's how it happened. Holy shit. I haven't thought about this in a long time. Mm. I was getting ready to tell my oldest brother at the beginning of the summer and I chickened out. We went to a, we went to like a Cardinals game, went to a, we went to a baseball game and I don't know what it was that made me clam up, but I clammed up and, uh, and then we went back to his house. He had just bought a house and, uh, and his girlfriend now wife, uh, was there and he went to bed, and she and I stayed up smoking Marlboro Lights, as we did in those days. Mm. And uh, and I ended up telling her. Wow. And she was super cool about it. And then, and then I think she then mentioned it to my other brother's wife, who mentioned it to him. And I think she also kind of said uh, something to my oldest brother as well. And it was sort of like people kind of knew. By the time... Talk
1: about a grapevine, Jesus.
2: Yeah. Oh, you know what it was? She did. She told my my other sister in law, and then my sister in law overheard my brother say something that sounded like the f word, but wasn't. And uh, and she was like, "Don't say that." And he was like, "What? What? Wh- why are you so?" And then so then she told him and whatever. So it was that sort is, of that
1: is a comedy sketch.
2: Hey. It was so yeah, it was so it was except he said, not can you not grab at me that funny. bag? Yeah, Not at yeah. really all, funny. Um, but yeah, so so yeah. So I told my middle brother he was he was, you know, he was cool about it. Uh, my oldest brother was less so. He was mm-hmm. um, you know, he's still very Catholic and whatever. Um, he did, however, um he was working for the county prosecutor's office at the time. He was an assistant prosecutor. And, uh, his boss was gay. And so he, and, and, you know, his boss is probably my age now. Mm -hmm. And, um, but my brother was like, you should have lunch. Like not, he wasn't trying to like set us up on a date or whatever. He was just like, you should know another gay person. That's nice. (laughs) Which was nice. It was just really nice.
1: I mean, that's huge. I, I, part of my struggle was I didn't, I, the only gay person I knew in St. Louis really was the guy that would cut my hair. Yeah. And, um. I for some, I, you know, I didn't, no one put us on a lunch date, but, um, yeah,
2: yeah, it was that, that was a good thing. I think I was too young to really like take advantage of it. Yeah. You know, I, I was very much like, I was very engaged in the activity of, of trying to show everyone that everything was fine.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. You that's, know, I think that's partly what probably I've had a delayed, maturation in my 30s because i've realized how much of i convinced myself i was okay when i didn't actually dive into the real feelings
2: yes of course because you because you're like well i say you i should say i here's my personal experience and maybe you will um relate to this Mm -hmm. i felt like i in coming out particularly to my family, I couldn't be gay and a second thing, you know, I couldn't be like gay and freaked out about it Uh or like, or worried about my basic safety or angry about the, the way, you know, the, the sort of milieu that I was raised in and how, you know, how much it sort of fucked me up in this way or whatever. Like I couldn't, or or like gay and a little bit like, uh, disappointed with the level of support I was getting or whatever. Yeah it's like you can't be any, survival you can't be, yes you uh, like i felt like i can't be any i can't be an additional burden oh you know what i mean god. and and that's like that's fucked that you know? is so and fucked. and that and that's a thing that i'm only like beginning to engage with in middle age you know what i mean is that i feel idea, that you know? so deeply god um, that's so well yeah. said well Dave, can we, can we please pick this up in 20 minutes? I'm not, I feel like we're just getting started. Let's pick it up in 20 minutes. I have to do a 15 minute interview and then I'll come right back here. Do it.
0: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized
1: plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
0: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? Right.
1: To get started,
0: visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Part two, Dave Holmes. Listen, yes. when duty calls, you got to do it. And now you got to do it. A, you have to do it. I mean, you were the editor at large of Esquire. Correct.
2: Correct. And sometimes you got you to gotta hop on the phone.
1: There, there's so much about our experience that's it's weird because we grew up in st louis at different times but but not really but not really at all because does as we stated not much changes and so yeah and so where we were discussing was the r- responses from the siblings of it all mm-hmm. and you were saying something really that struck me hard which is like you can't be gay and something else
2: right yeah it's um to exist at all is enough of a an ask you know or, or like it's already a, a thing you know so you can't also then be like and this is how i want you to treat me or the, or this is this is what respectful treatment looks like even to yourself, oh. you know? Yes. Um you feel l- like any reaction other than violence or or getting put out on the street or whatever is like good and what you deserve, you know? Um, and you should
1: feel lucky to have what you have. Exactly. Exactly. When I came out, I um had these questions that were asked to me that I felt were questions that I didn't need to be the person. Like I was like, Google it or like ask someone else. I'm dealing with enough on my own. And then in a way for my family, I think to I'm having a mental battle right now because, you know, I always try to be (laughs) as respectful as I can to everyone. And, and my family knows a lot of all of this. So I always feel like I have to give caveats and I really don't have to because like, we're all good. Everything's good. But the one mm-hmm. thing that I that did happen when I came out is my family has crass sense of humor, which is why I'm partly the way that I am. And I love that about my family. But when I first came out, they were they would make jokes, I think in a way to show that they were cool. But mm-hmm. sometimes the jokes were like, oh, no, you're coming from <laughs> a suburban Midwestern sensibility of making a joke about gay people. That's not landing in the way that you wanted to and i mm-hmm. had to be like you can't make those jokes and yeah. they respected it and and don't but it was yeah it was like there were so many landmines to mm-hmm. circumvent
2: yeah someone i know like someone in our in our like family friend group um like the the sibling of of one of my brothers friends and 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 someone who mm-hmm. was sort of on the like the scene, you know, uh, with my brothers, like the St. Louis kind of social scene a little bit like not not that they're like, mm-hmm. you know, in the Ladue news all the time, although sometimes they're um, like that kind of that little that world. Anyway, someone in that world who was married and had a couple kids kids uh, came out right uh, in his 40s um, is a while back. And like still when that person's name comes up, like there's a little bit of like. Like somebody, somebody might go, hello, like that. Like it's, there's, there's still the feeling of like jokey joke around that person. I was going to say, yeah, and it's little, like, yeah, that's a jokey joke. And like, as though this person has been just reduced to being like the butt of a joke and, and like that, well, th- that can happen around me. And like, I want to be cool about it, but it's also like that, you know, that's a person that's, you know, that's not a, he exists beyond the stereotype or the need for a joke or whatever. And you probably wouldn't do that to his face. So don't do that. But
1: like, anyway, it's well, I think that what you say there is the exact example of coming out in a place like that almost becomes the only thing you're allowed to be is the gay the gay guy yeah, that came out exactly married or like that? So like right so that has happened in in my current life where i will hear about someone who has come out later in saint louis mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know there's just talk about what a big deal it was and it seems less of like the big deal being that they're honoring their truth and more the big deal of just like they told someone or that they mm-hmm. were like there, and there's diff- still that feeling of shame which of course i have to be like interesting like the story around this is still the shame and like i have to still grapple right. with the fact that i don't want to f- need to feel shame but i'm being told subconsciously that i sort of do and then that also makes me think of you know matt and i were in palm springs for his birthday a few weeks ago and the more scenarios that i find myself in like that where i'm like just hanging out with gay men of various ages, the more and more I'm meeting men who have children from a previous marriage or relationship with a woman and then who have come out, and it's just been so interesting to, like, not only compare their stories, but also think about, like, that was the world where there's so many, and it's always going to be this way, but especially in my parents' generation, for sure, of just, like, the guys who did what they thought they needed to do Right. And then came out and here I am flirting with a daddy and a dad
2: at the pool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it um it's the desire to not have to do that that keeps men mm-hmm. in the closet. Like it, even to themselves. Mm-hmm. Like you are ju- like for so long. I was just like, well this is just a thing that I'll get over you know and and then everything will be normal and i won't have to worry about like bringing shame to my family or whatever and it's like yeah. that's dumb and ultimately like i i i was just more horny than that feeling is <laughs> like the only reason that i sort of <laughs> came out earlier than than some Same. um you know what i mean and like uh, horniness it,
1: um transcends yes. social rules for
2: sure for sure um horniness transcends horniness uh, honestly rules um it uh partially horniness and also partially like thinking that i would meet a boy who would make it make sense to my family but probably also to me you know what i mean Mm. and like like someone would come in and just like solve it for me and meet this like you know boy from Country Day or something you know what I mean uh, or, or whatever. Can
1: you, imagine? Can you imagine? I'm sure it happens. Who was the first boy? Who was the first boy that you brought to meet your family?
2: Uh, it, my my New York boyfriend, my like immediately post college New York boyfriend, who I met because he was dating a female friend of mine. You're kidding. Uh no, I'm not kidding. He was I'm dating a
1: female friend, and then would you flirt while they were dating?
2: I, when I first met him, I was like, eh, "This, I, he's, hello." I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I just sort of, I got a vibe, and then we. I mean, I say dating, like they had gone out like mm-hmm. twice, but she brought him around, and uh, he and I met, and uh, and he lived like a block away from me. And we hung out one night and he was like, uh, can I kiss you? And I was like, yeah. And, uh, and then we dated for like three or four years. Um, so that friendship is torched, uh, forever. I probably could have handled that situation a little different, but whatever. <laughs> so yeah. So that guy, and he, he was eight. he was, you know, he very much fit the bill. He was like mainline Philadelphia preppy boy. Mm. Um, still very much mm-hmm. is, um, and they like, yeah, they 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 liked him a lot. Is it weird? Uh, was it weird
1: seeing your boyfriend with your straight brothers interact? A
2: little bit, but I, you know, but honestly, even in like three or four years, that didn't happen a ton. I, I brought him home once, and uh, yeah, and it was fine. It was it was good, but but I also, in retrospect, uh, so much was riding on it. You know what I mean? I really felt like that was like the way to make it okay was to yeah. you know have. The kind of perfect boy or whatever. Look, I'm in a success. Um, he was great. Ultimately, we were not right for each other.
1: Yeah. But. So then, how did you meet your current gorgeous, amazing, talented musician partner?
2: Oh, he is lovely. Um, we met at a bar uh, in Venice, uh, California, on Abbott Kinney. Mm. The other room. Um, I had my roommate from New York was in town or had been in town, and uh, for for my birthday weekend, and then he had just left. And I, I think I dropped him off at the airport. And then I met some friends at the other room and, uh, it was the night after my birthday and we just struck up a conversation and, uh, and here we are 18 years later. Did, um, who got the other person's number?
1: I got his. Did you kiss that night? No. Wow. Look no. at that.
2: No. Um, yeah, we held on. <laughs>
1: Did um, um any of your preppy upbringing did it influence your taste in men and how has your taste in men changed oh, as you've gotten older it absolutely did it absolutely did. well what, we, what were you into um, i want to see if we have a similar thing
2: uh okay i'm trying to think who um you know you know it's funny it's it's on it's not it's a bad transfer but it's on youtube the uh the pilot episode of moonlight mm-hmm. uh we just watched last night and it's so good but uh, like Bruce Willis, that sort of like very, very confident, like wisecracking, uh broy guy. Like that was that I'm that. sure when I
1: watched Sixth Sense I felt things about him.
2: Sure, probably. Yeah, probably even still, yeah. Um But yeah, it was like it was a Huey Lewis, uh it was a Corey Hart, it was a uh like a uh sort of daddyish type with friendly eyes. <laughs>
1: That is so it. You that is I so know. it. Daddy type with friendly yeah. eyes. I, I've i said this before, and I'll say it to you. My grandfather owned Williams Pharmacy on Forest Park Parkway. It was very close to WashU. It was yeah. like, um, yeah. yeah. So my uncle and my dad then owned a, a pharmacy called Prescription Plus, which was, in the, which was in the Central West End. It was this like small pharmacy that was like upstairs. And I would go as a young, young kid. And they would sell Beanie Babies. And I would like hang out with the Beanie Babies fine. And I would start sure. to have dreams as like an eight-year-old. About the businessmen who would go into this pharmacy. And in my dreams, I would climb up their bodies like a tree and make yes. out with their faces and grab their stubble and, like, probably look into their kind eyes. And that was like my yeah. earliest guy guy memory as a literal child. I think I cried and told my mom about it because I was so young and naive to know what was going on
2: wow but yeah no i i get that Mm -hmm. i get that for sure i still have a daddy thing Um, i'll be honest yeah yeah i i do too um like my my oldest brother my my brothers are like eight and ten years older Mm -hmm. so like their friends definitely kind of set the uh the type as well yeah my oldest brother had a close friend who was just like yeah, had like kind of sleepy friendly eyes and just like a cool vibe about him and whatever. Yeah, I was very attracted, like in high school and college, to just like a more than a look, like a a walk. Oh. Like a, a sort of a broad chested, you know, shoulders back kind of um like that vibe of just like extreme confidence. B D
1: E, as one might say.
2: Sure, one might say that uh that definitely that got me my like in high school my well, i had a just a devastating crush on one of my uh good friends oh, same, and same. uh who yeah which is that is he w- had dark dark hair and blue blue eyes and uh and was this incredible football player Harry
1: chest um no and no why would i ask
2: yeah no i mean happy trail no Mm maybe kind of yeah all right i'll stop um no pretty like and and i i have no f- strong position on body hair pro or con okay. i i guess i would probably lean pro he was uh was uh super smooth but just like he had this kind of low key swagger about him that was like absolutely intoxicating mm. and uh and it was so like in high school if you were paying any attention at all you could tell that I was just so fucking like so in love with this guy oh. and nothing ever happened he um, get this this is lovely we, we sort of lost touch um, after you know a few years after college and then in 2016 my book came out and I knew that he lived in DC and I did a reading in DC and he showed up and I like I don't I hadn't told him about it Um, I hadn't seen him in forever. And I was like, oh, this is so nice. And you should have warned me because I'm not, I'm not ready. Um, and he looked fucking great. And his, uh, and then we, um, his wife got off work shortly thereafter and she came and met us and a bunch of us went out for drinks and whatever. And we all like hung out and I got to know his wife a little bit and she and I clicked and she was pregnant at the time. And, uh, they, that baby was born, I guess that late summer And I am that kid's godfather. You're kidding me. No. And it's like, you know, which was so nice, um, especially since, you know, there's like a good chapter or two in the book about – like I changed his name, but like you can fucking totally tell it's him – about like how like out of my mind in love I was with this guy. Do you think he read the book? Well, it it had not come out – I mean it had just – okay, I guess if it came out on a Tuesday, this reading was a Thursday. Okay, so he had not read it he, yet. Had, he had probably not read it. And I was like, and as with coming out to my family, I was like, um, I should tell him, I should just give him a little heads up that he's, that his beautiful eyes are a
1: big part of the There book. are 39 um, pages just
2: about your yeah. eyes. Yeah. And I never did. And then the next day I was on the train, like, by the way, like there's some, whatever. And it, you know, he, he comes off well in the book because he was, you know, a a gentleman in real life to someone who was so clearly uh, in love with him. And, you know, like I look back at that and I'm like, I hate that. What I think is like, that must've cost him something. You know what I mean? Like to have been, you know, in a small all boys Catholic environment that's very conservative and very homogeneous to continue to be a loyal friend to someone who is pretty clearly the gay kid and also pretty clearly like super into into you is that that did not come without a cost to his social standing. I'm sure. You know what I mean? Um, I wonder. I mean, I yeah. I don't. I don't know. It's it's it's
1: such a good question because when I th- it's hard to. Th- that's a very empathetic position you're taking because when I think about him, he's a football player. He's gorgeous. He is confident. In a way, I'm like, was he untouchable? I don't know
2: yeah maybe
1: maybe but i don't know but like but maybe Maybe. there was a cost i don't know but like i i I, see he sounds like a great version of the type of person you would want to fall in love with as a closet case Mm -hmm. because mine was not as gracious when i came out to him he asked something that really pissed me off then and i you know it's he said to me and i had clearly been in love with him let's let's you know let's make that clear i told him i was gay and he said so um have you ever been into me? And I was like, you know the answer. And I know that the answer, but you're very straight. And this is coming from like a narcissistic place. And it like, it really didn't sit well with me. Cause I was like, at least wait a day. Yeah. (laughs) Or like, yeah, let's settle in for a second. And like, let's, this is kind of about me right now, babe. Like it was like, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I wish that, I mean, there, no. I I feel like your friendship story is like the best case scenario because, in a lot of ways, no one can win when there's the closet case gay kid in love with his straight guy friend. That's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard for the ending to be a happy one.
2: Yeah, but this is, you know, he's um, I'm, you know, I'm, that
1: is a story.
2: It's uh, yeah. I mean, you know, and and it's it's it it, it is like a nice. It's a nice like version of it, you know, I'm, yeah.
1: I'm lucky for that. Can I ask you like a really, um, I'm going to pretend I work for a pop culture new a magazine that doesn't have a lot of morals. Great. Dave Holmes, have you ever had a flirtation or more with a person that I would recognize that would be a surprise to me?
2: Hmm. No, no.
1: Have you had a crush no. on anyone that was um very surreal to be in the room with them?
2: Um Huey Lewis recently. Mm. I did a I did a feature on him for Esquire a couple of years ago. Got to go to his ranch in Montana. Hell yeah. And hang out for the day. He was lovely. He's like he's you know, he's definitely old now you know and he, he's aging in a natural way and it fucking works he looks so how good. old is he he's in he's like 70 hell yeah early 70s <laughs> hell yeah. Yeah. um yeah he looks he looks fantastic um no you know i never really hung out with like famous people mm-hmm. um certainly not enough to like g- get a vibe sure or, or like start a thing or whatever um yeah no uh because really, like the um, the the famous people who I was suddenly surrounded with when I got to MTV, like a few months after I got there, became very young people. Like it started as you know uh, actors and, and like rock bands, mm-hmm. guys in their twenties, and then it was pop groups in their like teens, and and so I was not somebody who was like trying to be friends with uh, children. You know what I mean? With O-Town. Um, with O-Town, exactly. Um, yeah, no, Also, and, and also I just never, like, at, at that time in my life, my self-esteem was so fragile that, like, I would never have, like, I, I would never even have even tried to flirt with anybody.
1: That's partly you know? why I think that I did not have as much of a slutty phase in my 20s as I could have. Yeah. Because I was yeah. like, I don't deserve to fuck a lot.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I sure did have, uh, that phase in my twenties because, you know, because I was living in New York and, like, you know, at the time in a pre grinder time where with, you know, real life cruising and stuff, like, you could, you know, if you, if you knew, if you knew the, the sort of subtle body language to employ, you could, like, you could do, Good amount of hooking up. Um, I was uh, when I was in Palm
1: Springs, uh, this couple, I was a guy I was talking to who was there with his partner. He had many children with his previous with his ex-wife, and he met his current partner in a cruising forest on the East Coast, like where people park their cars and they Mm -hmm. hooked up there. And now they've been together like four years. I
2: love it. You know, that existed in Forest Park. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah, there was a certain area. Um, I forget the name of the street. It's not I mean, I guess, you know, Grinder has made it uh redundant or whatever, but um yeah, there there was definitely that area in Forest Park, it's Right by the boathouse, I'm sure. It's not it's not it's closer to uh Skinker. Skinker. It's not it's not too far off the main drag. Um but yeah, after the bar's closed. You go going yeah. off a of Skinker. You do what you got to do in those, in those days, you know, no regrets.
1: Just love. We can dance. What song am I singing? Until we die, you and I will be young forever. Uh, uh, Teenage dream. Thank you. Um, Dave, I can't take any more of your time. I want to. This has been a ball. I just, I'm, it's been such a ball and such a pleasure. And before we say goodbye, I have to ask you the final podcast question, which is Dave Holmes. Yes. What is the best Whoopi Goldberg film?
2: Oh God. What is the best Whoopi Goldberg film? I should have an answer. Um, she is not in fried green tomatoes, which I finally just watched. I don't know why that popped into my head. If she were in that, it would be that, <laughs> but she's not. Um, um soap dish i guess really
1: good answer great and, and i watched that movie uh probably two years ago for the first time and yeah huge fan hu- great answer dave everybody should be listening to homophilia podcast everybody should be reading your gorgeous book everybody should be yeah. following you where can people follow you on the internet
2: I am just, uh, I am on Twitter for the time being uh, at Dave Holmes until it, you know, until it becomes unsustainable, which sure. is, which could happen today. Uh, but uh, I'm also on uh, Instagram at Dave Holmes. We
1: love and it. And then I'm on
2: post and, and you know, Mastodon and all those other things, but they haven't really fully taken off for me yet um
1: and your twitter is honestly one of the reasons why i've stayed on because your your twitter is actually like not toxic and it's funny and it's great and everybody should follow you and um yeah dave thank you for coming on this podcast i could talk to you for hours and i hope to see you again soon i really do you will you will done gorgeous person gorgeous episode and gorgeous audience thanks for trekking along for this whole extra special extended episode and be sure to leave that five-star review and subscribe if you don't yet i'm gonna be guesting on some really fun podcasts of people i love who have been on this podcast so stay tuned for those announcements and i'll be booking the next live show in la soon and i'm just grateful to you i love you have a great great rest of your week